0: good morning Door Creek hey if you're a guest here today my name's Mark one of the pastors part of the teaching team and we're really glad that you've joined us we are coming to the third installment of our what matters series so we did friendship matters we did work matters are you ready we're gonna do money matters I heard an awesome I didn't hear a lot of other things it's a really weird thing when you mention money like three Months ago, we were planning this series, and so, you know, the team was together. There was great energy. There was lively discussion all around friendship matters and work matters, and I said, guys, we got 20 minutes left. Let's turn our attention to money matters, and you know what? The whole mood of the room changed. It was like really fascinating. There was a little... You know, it, there's, it was a quiet, a kind of an awkward, a little tense, a little uneasy, and it was like, what is going, what is it? Like, when I said money, my guess is you were thinking and feeling things. Money does that. And when anything does that in our life, it's always good to press into that, that kind of tension, that dissonance. We do a thing all the time, it's a great little Great little grid to work through any kind of area in your life or something you want to evaluate. What's right, what's wrong, what's missing, what's confusing. We call it the four columns. And when you get to confusing, that's where there's some tension, that's where there's some dissonance. Andy Stanley uses this phrase, pay attention to the tension. What we always say is pay attention to what's confusing because when you figure that part out, that's gold. And so I'm I'm just going to say, we're going to spend November talking about money matters. And we have a great opportunity to lean into something that might bring a lot of dissonance and unease. There's probably a lot of different responses to what are you feeling? What are you thinking when I say money matters? For some of us, a defensiveness, like, hey, it's my money. I already give. I was in a church where they, can you believe this? People did this. They would publish everybody's giving to the whole congregation. And you're going, oh man, where are we going with this? Right, (laughs) defensive. Others are going, I heard it, awesome. This is great. Excited to learn more about what God's word says about a really important area. That's about 2% of us. Thanks for representing 2%. I mean, a lot of us, we hear money, like we're stressed, anxiety, right? There's just a lot of it. Our stomach tightens, right? There never seems to be enough. We're always stretching the penny, constantly paying the bills, right? We've got, as Bob Dylan wrote in his classic song, we got the money blues. Have you heard about this one? Here are the lyrics. Sitting here thinking, where does the money go? Well, I give it to my woman. She ain't got it no more. Man came around asking for the rent. Well, I looked into the drawer, but the money's all been spent. Well, the man came and took my Chevy back. I'm glad I hid my old guitar. Come to me, mama. Ease my money crisis now. I've asked Ryan and Pastor David to do a duet next week. It should be awesome. <laughs> Scratch out some, some Dylan lyrics. So stressed, right? Living paycheck to paycheck. Stressed about, like, Is there going to be enough for our retirement? You know, stress because we're under a pile of debt. We just graduated. We got all these school loans. Stress because we fight over money. It's this constant thing that's bringing great conflict and tension in our marriage. For others, we're guilty. It just brings up a lot of guilt, regrets of misuse, not saving, not investing, overspending, debt, bad decisions. Brothers, it's just plain discouraging. It's depressing. We're always behind the eight ball. We work, work, and work, and we never get ahead. There's always this unexpected house repair, you know, apartment repair. There's always this unexpected car repair. We're never getting out from under it. Thinking about money seems to control our lives, and so we seem like throwing in the towel is the best thing to do. And then honestly, there's a bunch of us that are cynical, Because there's been a lot of organizations, including churches, that have gotten really wiggy about money. And so you're kind of, you got this cynical thing, like, really? Like, you feel like saying, guys, hold on to your wallets because it's coming. There's this, you know, there's this financial crisis at the church. No, actually, there's not. There's this big ass coming because they're going to build. No, we're not. None of that. But we we want to dig into it. Why? Why, Why? Why a deep dive in money? Jesus, interestingly, uncomfortably, draws a hard straight line between my heart and my wallet. He says to me, Mark, I don't have your heart if you aren't trusting me with your resources. If you don't understand that it's all mine and you're just a steward, you don't own anything, it's all from me. And and so we we need to talk about, the Bible, when it talks about money, says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And so we need to talk about this because uh, as much as it's an asset in life, it is a huge spiritual liability. That's why Jesus said, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Lewis is speaking about this very thing in his classic book, Mere Christianity, when he writes, one of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize you're our need for God. If everything seems to come simply by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent upon God. And in case we forget, Guys, we're rich. All of us, we are rich. We're living in the wealthiest country in the entire span of human history. We live today where almost half the world's population, 3 billion people, are living on $2.50 a day. If you make $32,000 a year, you represent the top 1% of the world's wealth. Our partners in Haiti... In Honduras and Rwanda, here's their average annual income: Haiti, 760, Rwanda, 720. Honduras, 2,250. And so we need to do an in-depth study so that we understand the Bible's teaching here and understand that when the Bible talks to us about money, it's never about what God wants from us. It's always what, what God wants. For us, for us so we're going to do that money reveals who we're trusting money gives us an opportunity to trust that God is good that he'll provide, it accelerates our faith and this whole thing of handling our money as God desires us to with generosity that's the way we fight the twin, twin temptations so you got greed on the one hand more, 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 more and then you got materialism on the other. And so our goal here is to move us from insecurity financially speaking to security, from a scarcity mindset where we seemingly never have a month enough to an abundance mindset. To being stressed out to finding joy and peace, to moving from correct thinking and actually correct desires to actually the disciplined activity of excelling in the grace of giving a contagious generosity that experiences the joy of trusting God with our money and being blown away by his overflowing grace as we continue not just to follow Christ's example but to go deeper into our understanding of our great salvation and the grace of God we want our hearts to be changed we don't want to just give financial advice so here's where we're going Week one this week, the birth, the generosity, the source, where does it come from? We'll call it the grace effect. Next week, the mindset of generosity, understanding the difference between being a steward and an owner. Week three, the priority of generosity, the first fruits, the first and best principle. Week four, the lifestyle of generosity, the way to truly live, and then Jesus on generosity, serving God, not money. So today, as we talk about how generosity begins there's three questions the first that we'll look at is how does the bible answer the question what is the source of pure generosity biblical generosity two how does the bible illustrate that truth and three how do we live out that truth in our lives wherever we're at in our own journey so first how does the bible answer the question what is the source What's the beginnings, the birth of what births generosity? So let me just say, there isn't a single answer, but there is when we understand the Bible's answer. So what I mean by that is there's a lot of different reasons why a person could give and actually be even marked with a generous heart. Some of those reasons have nothing to do with God. They're not connected at all with God. So for example, we could give for selfish reasons, right? So that people think we're a great person because we're giving so much. And we like that people think we're great people because we give so much, right? We could give to other people or organizations to get back something, right? So we could use it as this, uh, you know, exchange, right? I give, then I'm looking for a little in return. We could do the same thing to God hey, God, I'm giving to you, you know, I'm putting money in the offering each week and I'm expecting you to make my life easier, right? So it's transactional. And it's really all about ourselves. There are other people though, may not be selfish, but they've actually come across, whether they knew it or not, they came across the biblical principle that says, Jesus taught this, it's more blessed to give than receive. And so when you give, right, you like feel really good. Like that felt good. And so we like the feeling. But again, it's not wrong to do that, but the feelings and the giving isn't necessarily connected to God. So, how does the Bible answer the question? The Bible answers the question simply that the birth of generosity, the source of generosity, is actually God. It's His grace, it's His generous love. So, here's what we know about God's grace it's a gift. It's something that we don't deserve. We can't earn it. It's freely given to us. And it's received by faith. And when it's opened by faith, we open up God's grace, and we find out that God's grace is actually like a hammer reflex. You go to the doctor. It's your checkup, right? It's your annual physical. And one of the things the doc is going to do is check our reflexes. So I've always wanted to do this. And maybe this year's the year. So, you know, they start, I just, this is, this is, I'm sorry, this is my mind. This is what I've always thought. All right, the first one, you know, it's that, I'll just let them do what they do. And my knee's going to do what it does or not does, right? And then the next one, I'm just going to go, bam, like that. <laughs> just kind of, seems fun. all right, but we're back to grace, right? So it's a gift that's actually a, a reflex. And when God's grace is received by faith it's like this hammer that hits the heart and the result is we go from this to this we go from grabbers to generous givers created God's image his image restored and being restored in our lives we respond to the reflex of God's generous love and grace by giving to others now there's a classic passage well before I get to the passage let me just kind of define grace here grace is all of God's goodness all of his favor freely offered wrapped in human flesh that is the divine son of God who is fully God and fully human the highest expression of his goodness and grace and justice and love and mercy and kindness and faithfulness the one who though he was rich became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. So look at this verse in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And what we have here is the core, most clear teaching of how one comes into a relationship with God. By his grace, through faith in his son, we come into this relationship. And what we're gonna see here is how God's grace brings about this reflex of good works, of generous living and loving like Jesus. So we read, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. What's not from yourselves? The faith isn't from yourselves. God grants faith. Your salvation isn't from yourselves, and obviously the grace isn't from yourself. It's from God. It is the gift of God. Not by work. Some of us grew up going, oh, the way we get into, you know, God's good grace is we work our way to that position and making sure we have more good stuff in our life than bad stuff in our life. No, he says, nope, it's grace. It's all about Christ's good work. It's not about our good works because if it were, we boast so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork, his masterpieces created in Christ Jesus. Here it is. To do good works, to live this generous life, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so, what we see here is clearly, here, that our good works are a result, they're a result. Of God's grace. They're not the means to procure and gain God's favor and grace. A lot of us grew up thinking, oh, I do this, I live this kind of life, it's gonna buy me this ticket into heaven, into God's good favor. No, he's saying, we get God's grace. And there's nothing we did to deserve God's grace. We didn't deserve it, we actually didn't even desire it. But now we've received God's grace. And out of that, the dominoes start to fall. The reflex is good works, living giving generously like our great God and his son our savior so how does the bible illustrate this truth well it does from the very beginning all right so Genesis the first book in the bible introduces us to God he's this awesome powerful creator that creates everything out of nothing and everything we know about God is he's generous So when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden, he gives them everything to a joy. They're not missing anything. He gives them great purpose and meaning. He's created them in his image. And it says in Genesis 1.28 that he blessed them. Ah, that's the hammer of God's grace. He blessed them. And what happens is he says, now I want you to bless the world as you take my image And that which I've initiated, I want you to replicate. I want you to fill the world with my image and bring my blessing throughout of all all my creation. We see the same thing in Abraham chapter 12. He's not done anything. He's he's an idolater worshiping all these idols and God hits him with his grace. And he says, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you so that all the families of the world are gonna be blessed through you. You see it? Boom, boom. God's grace, the reflex to give back to God and others. We see it in the story in 1 uh, Chronicles. And this is a story about David desperately, he's built his own palace. He says, God, I want to build you a house. What's going on here? You've been, you've been in the tent, the tabernacle. You deserve a palace. I want to build you a palace. He says, dude, you're, you're a man of war. You're not going to do it. But your son's going to do it. And so David says, well, let me at least get the supplies ready. So he tells the people, we're gonna build a temple and so bring all the supplies and they bring this overabundant, generous supply of materials to build God's house, the temple, right? And so he's praying and reflecting on the generosity of God's people and on the front end of it and on the back end of the description of the generosity of God's people we'll note the grace reflex again. Here it is. Wealth and honor come from you, David Praise. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Here's his answer. Here's how, because everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. The grace effect. We go to the New Testament. Jesus, the perfect expression of God's generous love, continues to use the hammer reflex, right, of his grace to birth generosity. So there's a guy named Zacchaeus. He's a cheating tax collector, and he's uh, diminutive in size. That means he's short. And he wants to see Jesus because they hear he's coming to town. Everybody wants to see Jesus. So what does he do? Climbs a sycamore tree. He's up in the tree, right? He's looking over the the crowd there that's along the curb, but he can see over, and he sees Jesus. Jesus looks up at Zach and says, Zach, dinner tonight, you and me. Zacchaeus goes home. He prepares the meal, and he's completely transformed by the grace of God incarnate in the Son of God. And here's what he says. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. What is he saying? We know That his heart has been transformed because of how he thinks and how he's behaving with his money. There's generosity that is flowing from this man. There was generosity that was flowing from the early church in Jerusalem where we're told in Acts chapter 4 that there wasn't a needy person in the whole church. And why was that? Because they had a collision with the grace of God. So the people were selling their houses and their property and giving the profits and, and the receipt of those, those monies to the apostles who distributed to the poor. Grab your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and we'll read about another group of Christians who were forever changed by the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 We can read about the Macedonians. So after 1 Corinthians, before Galatians, towards the end of your Bible, if you need the uh, table contents, we're good. Man, there's a lot of pages turning in the first service. I'm not hearing a lot of pages here today. Just saying. All right, you ready? Verse 1. And Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Whose grace does he first highlight, the Macedonians or God? I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonians. We note that. In the midst of a very severe trial, now he's talking about the Macedonians, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. When's the last time extreme poverty and rich generosity were used in a sentence together? Isn't that fascinating? In their extreme poverty, being in the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy in the midst of their extreme poverty expressed itself in rich generosity. For I testify, verse 3, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's sacrificial giving, right? Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us to get a pass. Oh wait, that's not what it says for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So what's going on historically? There's a famine in Jerusalem. These are Gentiles in Macedonia, in Greece, and they hear about it, and Paul's collecting an offering to to go to help the people that don't have any food, and they're pleading to help out with the offering, even though they're living in extreme poverty. Verse five, and they exceeded our expectations they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us, verse 7. But since you, now he's talking to the Corinthians, excel in everything, in faith, and speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That's our, that's our eighth value, contagious generosity, excelling in the grace of giving. That's the verse right here. Verse eight, I'm not commanding you, he says to the Corinthians, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. We think he's talking about the Macedonians and in a sense he is, but now he goes to the greater example. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So let's just notice these people don't have anything going for them in terms of what you might expect would make a person generous. What do we know about them? They were going through some kind of severe trial. We don't know if that's persecution. We don't know what it was, but it was hard times. We know that economically, the description of their lives was extreme poverty. It wasn't even like they were poor. They were extremely poor. And so we might expect that Paul would have said, and and guys, because of that, just pray for your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and Judea. You don't have to give, because I know you don't have anything to give. And they didn't say, Paul, what are you doing, man? You're killing us. We don't even know how we're going to put bread on the table tomorrow. They, they, They didn't use it as an excuse. And that's like, whoa. Whoa. I mean... Because there's times, right, when it's hard, and we kind of we we kind of throw the card out there. God, you know, severe trial, extreme poverty. We've got tough times going on financially, and so you know that we're gonna we're gonna reengage in this area in our life. But you understand, not now. We do that, right? Not not the Macedonians. Theirs was a joyous desire. To give monetarily. This was an offering he was collecting. They pleaded for the privilege. They didn't see it as a duty or an obligation. It was like, we get to do this. We want to do this. Don't you dare say we can't, Paul. Even if we can't contribute a lot, we're all in with their brothers and sisters. And so they gave beyond their ability. And we're called short by the descriptions here of their joyous desire of pleading for the privilege of giving beyond their ability, sacrificially out of their extreme poverty. So what can we learn from this noble band of Christ followers? Notice verse five, that first, The first thing they did, the first response, having received the grace of God, verse one, their first response was to give back to God, to give back to God. A generous life begins by giving ourselves wholly to God. And so if we find ourselves wrestling with giving to God's work or to other people, I mean, it's just good... Good to say, so maybe maybe God doesn't have my whole heart here. Jesus is going to argue the point. So they gave beyond their ability. And the grace effect is all over. Four times we run into the word grace. And the dominoes start to fall because God tipped the first one. He was the one who initiated grace in their lives. So, what do we do with this? How do we live this out? Well, the teaching's obvious, right? Maybe not. Generosity is birthed by an encounter with God's grace. So, if we want to grow in this area of generosity, it starts actually by receiving, receiving God's grace. And so, it comes to us wrapped, it's a gift. Christ is God's indescribable gift. And it's wrapped. It's got your name on it. It's got my name on it. And, and, and yet, it's just there. He, he says, I, I, I'm not going to open it for you. I'm going to give you the faith to believe that I'm good and this is what you need. But you ultimately have to take and receive that gift through faith, holy, trusting, pinning your hopes all on Christ, his grace, his good works, not your own. Have we done that? Have we done that? We need to receive God's grace if we're going to live generously like God. And so here's the problem. The problem is, it's easy for us like Adam and Eve to doubt that God is good, that he's gracious, that he's faithful, that he'll provide, that he's good, that he'll meet all of our needs. It's easy to get in the scarcity mindset that there isn't enough and God can't do anything about it. So, you know, at the beginning of the story, we, we skipped a part. We skipped a part that doesn't skip our own hearts, that we still wrestle with. And that is, yeah, there's a great, good beginning about a generous God who, uh, who puts his blessing and grace on Adam and Eve and asks them to spread that throughout the world. But then we find out that there's another story that happens where they doubt and reject the goodness of God. And, and that... That really impacts us today. So what happened is, when they doubted God's goodness, when they, when they felt like maybe he was holding out, like that tree and that fruit looked like something they desperately needed, that, then they, they turned into grabbers. When God wanted them to spread his blessing around all of creation... And they're grabbing all kinds of things. First, they're grabbing the crown, right? Self-rule, autonomy. They grab the forbidden fruit, taking hold of the one thing that wasn't theirs that would actually kill them, only to find out that in taking it, they lost all, all that God had given them. And their failure brought death and decay and destruction. And if you think about anything that you read, anything that grips our hearts, any violent thing, any horrible thing, all evil in the world, it all goes back to this whole thing of doubting that God is good and and this whole thing of I deserve it, it's mine. This grasping chases back to this. And so at the heart of Adam and Eve's failure is something that plagues our heart, pride, and unbelief and it's just not out there you guys it's right here in Mark Myfair's heart a heart that has been made new and God is making new but I have all kinds of opportunities through any day and any week to operate out of pride and out of unbelief What did it look like for Adam and Eve? They knew better than God, deserved better than his provision, had a better chance of defining what is good and evil, right? That marked the pride of their life and it marks our lives today, right? They forgot that they're stewards and acted like they're owners. We do the same thing. This is mine. What are you talking about? We we, we talk about giving back to God. What are we talking about? It's all his. not giving it back to him. It's all his, but we think it's ours. That goes back to our pride. They adapted a scarcity mindset. Though all the garden was there and everything in it, God was there, save the one tree. They acted in selfish greed, grabbing what wasn't there. Pride, pride, pride. And then there's unbelief, doubting that God was good, that he was faithful, that he could faithfully provide, doubting that his word was true, that he could be trusted. We do the same thing. They turn to themselves as their own hero and deliverer. We do the same thing. Faith was replaced by a fear that convinced them that if they didn't have the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, they would be missing out. There's wouldn't be Their life wouldn't be secure. Their identity wouldn't be safe. They wouldn't be satisfied. And so we ask ourselves, have we received the grace of God? Have we received that? Are we receiving God's grace every day of our lives? The Bible says, Apart from God's grace in our life, we're dead, flatline. We actually don't have the reflex to live generously. We might, we might look like we are, but it's fundamentally still all about ourselves. So when it says that in the Bible that Jesus, who was rich, became poor, that through his poverty we might become rich it's it's important that we understand the riches that are ours in Christ are not the same riches that the world defines as riches but when you actually see what is involved and included in the riches of Christ you realize well this is the stuff that the world longs for and often is chasing money to supply that longing need deep need that we have in our hearts so the riches of God's generous love brings forgiveness. Like That's a big thing. This is a great conversation to have with someone as you're trying to talk about your faith and point to Jesus. You just ask a simple question. So what do you do? What does your faith tell you to do with guilt? Like the real stuff. I'm not talking about the conceptual idea the guilt of your life, the stuff that you've done that if I knew about it, you'd be horrified that I knew about it. What do you do with that? And how's that working? The richness of God's grace in Christ is that in Christ, he paid for all that junk in my life and all the hurt that I caused, all the stuff that if you knew, I would sulk out of here so embarrassed that I've been freed from that. That's richness in Christ. I have peace that passes human understanding in the midst of the storms of life right now. The diagnosis, the financial crisis, the marriage that is crumbling, the jobs that's uncertain, whatever it is that we can have peace that's not dependent upon circumstances, the richness of Christ, the Prince of Peace reigning and calming our heart. That's that's something the world longs for purpose and meaning and significance that we could join him in making all things new in this world as we walk with him fullness of the spirit intimacy as his children were his masterpieces were rich and so the gospel cures our unbelief the gospel roots out all of our pride the gospel keeps God at the center so we don't get duped into thinking I don't have enough because I see a God who made everything out of nothing I remember what Jesus did with a little boy's lunch and he fed 5,000 and there were like a ton of leftovers and I remember what happened when it was time to pay the taxes in the day, April 15th, right? Back in the early, early part of the first millennial and Jesus said to Pete, hey man, we got to pay our taxes. He didn't pull a coin out of his pocket. He says, let go fish. There's some, there's some money in that fish. Are you kidding me? That's our God. The gospel keeps God at the center of our worldview and of our world And so we don't live in a scarcity mindset. We understand who God is and he who did not spare his own son, will he not also with him give us most things? All things, all things. And when we live like this, we bear no resemblance of our Savior who went like this. And when we live like this, We are missing all that God wants to bring into our lives. That we could then be conduits of grace and keep the dominoes flowing and the reflexes of grace triggering through as we live like Christ in this world. Oh God, help us to see a beautiful Savior. Oh God, transform our hearts with His indescribable gift of His Son that we would live and move. As people who've been radically changed by his generous love. Let's pray. So, dear God, forgive us for holding on to things, thinking that they're ours, trusting in these things, thinking that you're not good, that you can't provide. Help us. Help us to follow your way, your path. Free us from the love of money. Free us from the fears that we have over the lack that we are experiencing. Help us to share and to be rich in good deeds. To point others to you, our generous God, that we might join you in this world and be with you in this world. And so grant faith to the one who's giving their life to you right now and saying, Jesus, I need you to rescue me to be my leader and your generous love to transform how I do life and grow our faith, we pray. Until you come or call us home. God's people said, amen.